Good morning. Welcome to this online service and the beginning of Advent. Let's begin with a question. Is it possible for someone to love Jesus and to feel that he is the center of their lives, to speak for him and to worship him without believing that he is the only way to the Father? Not only is this probable and possible, but sadly, this is reality. Dale Bruner, an adjunct professor with Fuller Seminary, was given an assignment to lead in a conference. He was assigned the morning session where he taught about the exclusiveness of Christ and the fact that Jesus was the only way to the Father. The evening session was assigned to Dr. Prozana Kumari, who is the president of the Lutheran Church in India. Her assignment, the topic of the centrality of Christ. Now, both topics seem to be agreeable. And Dr. Bruner, the, the exclusiveness of Jesus. He's the only way to the Father. And Dr. Kumari, the, the central focus of Jesus, the centrality of Jesus. So as the conference began, both began teaching in their respective sessions, but uh, Bruner began to realize a strong discrepancy and a problem between the sessions. While he spoke on the exclusiveness of Christ, he realized, Dr. Kumari, was speaking on the centrality of Jesus, but only for the Christian faith. And she then began to intimate that other faiths like Buddhism or Islam can find their own way to God. Well, obviously this derailed the conference. And on the last day, Bruner stood up and made this conclusion. He said of himself, I am no longer a centralist when it comes to Jesus. Instead, I am an exclusivist, meaning I believe that Jesus represents the only way to the Father. Whether you call yourself Christian or not, there is but one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus. He then made the statement that I love. Jesus is not only the center, but the circumference as well. And I love that because regardless of where one may be coming from in their approach to God, we must go through the Son. Jesus represents the only way to the Father. Now, quickly, many of us will nod an amen to that truth. But sadly, a pew form for public and religious life released research several years ago indicating that over one half of evangelicals believe that many religions lead to eternal life. Again, I scratch my head and ponder, how could this be? And a sociologist from Rice University concluded with that one fact from Pew Research that the, the spiritual life of America has problems, not because we, we don't believe anything, but because we believe everything. And he then concluded that the religious life of America seems to be 3,000 miles wide and three inches deep. So this morning, I share these, these references with you to indicate that within our culture, there exists a significant problem. The problem is that many feel that there are many ways to the Father, but the Scripture, God's Word, clearly teaches there's only one way to God, and that becomes through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I welcome you into this Advent season where we focus upon the one fact, Jesus, the only way to the Father. Now, the entire globe... Most of the globe will pause and celebrate Christmas. 
Well, the central message of Christmas represents that there is only one, only one who came, only one who died, only one who rose again. And so this Advent season, may we really focus upon the exclusiveness of Christ. Yes, he's the center of all things, and he represents the exclusive, the only way that one can be right with the Father. So as we enter into Advent season, I welcome you to week number one. Week one of Advent focuses upon the one child. We'll focus later upon uh, the one way and the one love and the one Savior. But for today, our focus rests upon the one child. God's answer to all the darkness and oppression that has come against mankind, God's one answer becomes expressed in a child. All of the enemies to to God's original people who have swaggered throughout history could not squelch the message and the truth of this one child. No Assyrian conquest could quieten the message that was announced through this one child. No conqueror, regardless of how evil he practiced his reign, could suppress the message of the one child that God sent. And one of the most significant announcements of the one child locates our attention in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Hear these words, Isaiah 9, 6. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, meaning he will carry, he will carry the responsibility, not just as a religious leader, but as king. And as conqueror, the governments will rest upon his shoulders and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, as we study your word, having entered into this Advent season, we have have seen the candle lighted. We have sung praises to you. And oh, Father, our world desperately needs to know the truth of Jesus. So, Father, we praise you that there's but one way to you. And you sent your son to us that we might put our faith in him. And, Father, I thank you for this time of year. So, Lord, help us to celebrate uh, the, the truth that's before us today as we respond by faith in your love for us made known through Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. Now, like any prophetic message there are three significant expressions that, that come when, when God's mouthpiece has spoken God's truth. Uh, most prophetic messages will, will have these three facts. Uh, history, a promise, and then fulfillment. And so for just a moment, let's look at those three facts that help us to better understand Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that announced, For unto us a child is born, and we know that that child was Jesus Christ. So let's look at three facts of this prophetic announcement. Fact number one, the history. Now, as we've read verse six, we expand our focus to include the opening of chapter nine of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter nine opens with a geographical reference to two uh, very significant places in the northern part of Galilee, the the place where Jesus ministered uh, during his three and a half years of ministry on earth. Those two uh, significant places Uh, are expressed here as Zebulun and Naphtali. 
Now, these two names actually are namesakes of two of the sons of Jacob and two of the tribes of Israel. Here, they become a significant geographical location. Now, notice how they become referenced. They become referenced as a place geographically that was humbled. So listen to verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, the gloom of this distressed land will not be like that of former times when God humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. How did God humble this referenced geographical location? Through the invasion of Tiglath-Pileser III, who took the throne of Assyria and, and brought this invasion against God's people sometime around 733, 732 BC. This became a moment in history where God's people uh, suffered greatly. There was destruction, and that, quite frankly, is an understatement to all that took place under this Assyrian invasion and captivity. But notice this history not only referenced something uh, disastrous that took place, but this point of history also references, again, the specific location, but, but future in reference to what would come, the announcement then speaks of honor that will be brought into this place where once there was unimaginable destruction and devastation. And that honor will come by way of the sea to the land east of the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. Now to know specifically why this uh, reference is such a significant part of history, I simply uh, turn to the Gospel of Matthew for just a moment. And in Matthew chapter 4, listen to the words of, of verse 15 and 16. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, along the sea road beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who lived in darkness, They've seen a great light. The, the ones living in this shadowed land of death, upon them a light has dawned. And so this passageway, if you will, referenced in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1, actually correlates to the passageway that, that signifies Jesus' entrance when he began his ministry. And this also signifies many areas where he ministered and brought the light of the truth of God to those who were in a place of darkness and despair. So we have looked at the historical narrative behind this prophecy, which represents the first fact of most any prophecy. Fact number two uh, leads us to the promise. The prophecy speaks of a promise. At the end of verse one, but in the future, God will bring honor, meaning God will exalt from a place of darkness and devastation this particular land, not because of the ecology of the land, not even because of the need of the land, but because of the entrance of the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer. And this becomes that place. Oh, I love the reality of the, of the truth of Christ. This one verse actually marks the latitude and longitude, longitude upon which Jesus stepped in to announce that salvation and redemption to all that has been broken finally has come. And this references the promise. Now, with any prophecy, there 
There becomes a note of history, and usually that history represents a great need among men. We saw that here. Second, a second fact of most prophecies would be the promise, God intervening. But then a third fact references the fulfillment of that promise. Now, we read from verse 2 to verse 5, specific facts of this fulfillment. So here are these verses. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. Now, we're reading prophecy, so if you took upon yourself the perspective of, of the audience when they first heard this message, you would understand that what has not yet happened was announced in past tense as if it had already happened. So this signified the absoluteness and the conclusiveness of what God would do through Jesus. So I love this emphasis on the past tense. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And the light has dawned. Now, we know from Scripture, the idea of light can reference knowledge or revelation, but also light can reference life. Here, light also references rejoicing and joy and deliverance. One might say new life, or one might say redeemed life. So here, light opposes the darkness that referenced the devastation. And the light has Come, Jesus has fulfilled this promise that what was once in despair has been given rebirth and new life. Now look at verse 3. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. So the idea of light produces joy and rejoicing. The reference to you in verse 3 obviously references God. So the prophet Isaiah speaks almost in praise back to the Father to say, you have enlarged the nations, not of the geographical boundaries per se, but you have enlarged, meaning by covenant. You have expanded the nation, God's people, to include all those who would become a redeemed community. Now let's look at verse 4. The prophet announced, you have shattered the burdensome yoke Look at the end of verse 4. Even as you did on the day of Midian. Now we know in the story of Gideon, the Midianites represented this horde of people who were coming against God's people. And God did something that was uh, unpredictable and unusual, that he would take a small, uh, a small element to defeat a, a devastating enemy. And what an incredible reference to the child being announced here. That through the coming of a child, God has devastated the horde of enemies that come against God's uh, creation, God's uh, desire to fellowship with man. God has brought the answer to sin and to all that would devastate mankind. And I love the message of verse 5. For the trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war, they are burned as fuel for fire. So when you consider that garments for battle, whatever that may be, uh, respective to a particular army or nation, and even the, the, the shoes, the boots for battle, are, are burned. They're no longer needed. Why? Because the announcement of this child not only expressed that God would bring victory over a present enemies like that of the Assyrians or whatever enemy you might be facing in your life today. This announcement does not just simply mean that a particular enemy becomes defeated, but actually that one day under the reign of this child, conflict itself will be over. There will be an ultimate victory. 
Now for Israel, there was always enemy after enemy raising his head. And the same is for you and for me. There will always be some type of formidable foe pressing against our lives, pressing against our faith. But one day under the reign of the one who would come as a child, not only will the enemies be defeated, but conflict will once and for all be over under the reign of this one who has come as a child. And so what a phenomenal expression of fulfillment. So with this announcement from Isaiah chapter 9, we have discovered the history, the promise, and the fulfillment of what is about to be announced in verse 6. So following these three facts, I now share with you four truths about the one who is to come and the one who has come. So we resume in verse 6. For a child will be born for us. I have to pause there because this, this reference to the plural us becomes something significant even with the opening of verse 6, for. For a child will be born for us. It is as if the prophet has taken on the role of teacher and has begun to instruct us about the one who is to come. You can actually trace the plural us all the way back to chapter 7, verse 14, when the prophet announced the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin can, will conceive and will have a son and will name him Emmanuel. Beginning there, the prophecy of Isaiah seems to turn into a, a, a moment of teaching as the prophet accepts this role of teacher and instructs both the people of God then and now to the truth of the one who came as a child. And in Isaiah 9 verse 6, a child, this is the one. This is Emmanuel. Uh, referencing the beginning of this truth from Isaiah seven fourteen. For unto us a child will be born, a son will be given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. Referencing the, uh, the, the responsibility, but also the insignia, that the one coming would not simply be a religious leader or simply a rabbi, as the world knew the role of rabbi. The one coming will reign as king. Please understand that the child obviously... <laughs> was the Messiah, and the Messiah has come, and he has fulfilled all that God has promised. Jesus Christ, our Lord, is reigning as king. He did not come simply as a teacher or a rabbi for you and I to emulate. He came as king to rule and reign in our hearts and in our lives and over all the universe. And so, one is coming, a child is born, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. And then he will be called. He will be named. And there are four names given. First, he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Oh, do you know the joy of having a Wonderful Counselor? The word wonderful can actually reference deity. And so the one coming as a child, Christ himself, Jesus, has become for us Wonderful Counselor, a divine Counselor, one who brings God's wisdom and God's guidance to our lives. I recall John chapter 14, verse 26, where Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will, will, will instruct you on all that I have taught you. 
And so through the Holy Spirit, we can have the truth and the guidance of our divine counselor, our wonderful counselor. Oh, the, the Messiah has come. This child will be called wonderful counselor, one who instructs us and reveals God's way to us. A second truth, a second name of the Messiah of Jesus, mighty God. Oh, I can become lost in this phrase because we read here, wonderful counselor, mighty God. One might well translate mighty God as mighty warrior. It was Ray Ortland who wrote, the term mighty can actually express one under whom the enemy becomes easily defeated. Now, how reassuring is that? Oh, praise God for this. Jesus references the mightiness of our God, a mighty warrior who has come to defeat all that would come against us so that we might place our faith in Christ and know God personally and belong to him, which brings us to the third truth, the third name of Jesus, everlasting father. He will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, and everlasting father. What an amazing announcement we have concerning Jesus Christ, our Lord. That babe who came was announced as one who would become everlasting father, and he certainly references that to us. Now, you may say, well, I thought Jesus was the son and not the father, but notice the emphasis upon everlasting father. Jesus came to bring us to God that we might belong to him, Jesus being the first of many born to God. And so Jesus referenced and, and it revealed to us our everlasting Father. So he's not just mighty God who comes to do battle on our behalf to bring victory, but he actually comes to do battle on our behalf to bring victory so that we can be brought to him. Everlasting Father references that we become individuals through our faith in Christ who are not only saved from, but saved unto. This references covenant. This references the phrase loving kindness from Psalm 136. The Hebrew word hesed means covenant love. And God has come to bring us through Christ that kesed, that, that covenant love that allows us to be saved not only from, but unto. We're saved from the devastating darkness and gloom of a sinful world unto the fathering love that was fully exposed to us through Jesus Christ. Yes, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. And then the final truth, Prince of Peace. I love this phrase, Prince of Peace. For the idea of prince can actually reference a, a, a human leader. And, and I think we find here something so significant that, that the prophecy re has reminded us of, of the deity of, of the one who is to come. Wonderful counselor. He's a divine counselor. Mighty God. He's God, our warrior, everlasting father. He has brought us to the father, but he's prince of peace. He's fully God and fully man who has reconciled us back to the father in this unique shalom, this unique peace. Jesus himself said in John, Chapter 16, verse 23. Oh, I love this, 
this, uh, this proclamation. Jesus said, I've told you all these things that in me you may have peace. You will have sufferings in this world, but take courage. I've overcome the world. Prince of Peace references the victory Christ brings that ushers us into peace with God. You know, over the, these last 18 to 24 months, the entire world has suffered in ways that we've not imagined. And, and daily, there is uh, news of conflict, news of tragedy and devastation locally and throughout the world. Not long ago, someone stopped me in a coffee shop and knew that I was a pastor. And they, uh, they uh, ha have not at this moment placed their faith in Christ. But they stopped me and they, they said, how do you do it? How do you continue in your faith with all this happening? And my response was simple, because of Jesus, I have peace. What we seek is peace, not the absence of conflict, but the presence of rest, knowing that God has us, that we can trust our God. And Jesus has made this possible because he is the Prince of Peace. He represents the peace of God to us because fully God, he became man so that we might belong to God. These become the truths. That, that perfectly describe the prophecy that was given to foreshadow the coming of Christ. A child will be born. He'll be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And so we've understood three facts of the prophecy, and now we've understood four truths of the prophecy. And, and I'd like to close by sharing with you one application. And for this, we turn to the New Testament to John chapter 1, verse 12. And in John 1, verse 12, we again see the reference to child. God sent his son, one child. There was no need for, for any other to come. One child came. Why? So that we might become children of God. Listen to John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who all, to all uh, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. One child came, Jesus our Lord. He did not come as a boy king. He came as a child so that the Messiah would rule and reign so that we could know the fullness of God through Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man, our King, our Redeemer. And to all who received him by faith, he gave them the right to become children of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 announces the greatest decision one could ever make. That decision but to all who did receive him. The word receive actually references placing our faith in Jesus Christ and receiving the truth of who he is. It's the greatest decision. I know you're faced with a lot of decisions. Maybe your decisions are small, comparative to others. Maybe you have some significant decisions to make in your life. But, but I assure you, there rests upon us no greater decision than to place our faith in Jesus Christ. This is a great moment for me to ask you, if you've never trusted Jesus, you have heard the truth of Jesus, what will you do with this truth? Will you ignore this truth? 
Will you become like many who say, well, I, I believe about Jesus, but I think there are many ways to the Father? When that would be in direct uh, contradiction to the truth of God. So what will you do in response to the truth of Jesus Christ? The greatest decision to all who received him. Now look at the greatest gift. He gave them the right. When we place our faith in Jesus, we receive the right to become children of God. We're not just saved from, we're saved unto. This beautiful relationship of belonging to God. Romans chapter 8 verse 15 references this as the spiritual adoption, truly belonging to him. Have you understood that this announces security in our Lord? The reason that we can have peace amid conflict rests upon the fact that with our faith in Christ, we belong to God. He has us. He secures us as Father to child. The greatest decision to all who received him. The, the greatest gift, he gave them the right. And then the greatest love, to be children of God. Oh, I will tell you, I was speaking to someone who's a grandparent not long ago, and they said, I, you can't imagine the love of a grandparent for a grandchild. And my response was, I can't imagine it being any greater than the love I have for my children. And this person said, you just wait and see. The love will, will expound. And, oh, you just cannot fathom the love that a parent should have for a child in, in the setting that God has designed. And here, the greatest love is that God would give us his only son that we could become sons and daughters of God. So that references our one application to this great prophecy that has come to us. A child is born and he is called Wonderful Counselor, uh, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And, and our one application is that we would receive that truth by faith and live in the security and in the joy of being a child of God. One child came that you and I could become children of God. And that one child, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want to close with a, a moving story. It's such a simple story, but has great correlation uh, to this time of year. The story is about Livia Satterfield Young, a 12-year-old girl in a Romanian orphanage. Her life was forever changed when someone handed her a gift. The gift was a simple shoebox. But on the shoebox was a label, Operation Christmas Child. And she was forever changed, not by what was in the shoebox, although the, the, hy the hygiene items and, and the toys uh, were, were excitable to her, but she was changed forever for another reason. So I simply want to read to you uh, an announcement that little Olivia made several years later when she thanked uh, the organization for uh, sending this uh, this shoebox through the Operation Christmas Child program. This is what she wrote. Before we opened our boxes, they shared with us about people who packed them because you loved us. I was mesmerized by the word love. And then they shared the greatest news of all. 
that there is a God who gave his one and only son who died on the cross for me because he loves me. God made this possible through a simple gift, she concluded. It sparked so much love, joy, and hope in my life. Not long after she received this gift, under the love and the, and the teaching of, of good godly people in her life, she placed her faith in Jesus Christ through a simple gift. And the simple gift she referenced was not the shoebox. The shoebox simply got her attention. The simple gift was a God who loved her and sent his son. Simple because the love was very clear. But oh, how deep is the love of the Father that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to us. Thank you for joining us for week one of Advent, that indeed there is one. God has sent his son, one child, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, I encourage you now at this very moment to place your faith in Christ and to trust him as, as your Lord and as your Savior. If you know Jesus, if you've placed your faith in him, but uh, the adversities of the world have uh, quieted your faith, oh, would you return to that passion of living for the Lord? And remember, there's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. This is so because he loves you so much. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time of teaching. Thank you for this Advent season where we are reminded of the exclusiveness of Christ. There's no other way to you than through Jesus. Lord, may we celebrate this absolute truth. We thank you for sending uh, your son, the child, the Christ child, who is king of the world. We thank you, Father, for sending him as Savior and as Lord. And may our hearts surrender to him afresh and anew. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. Yeah, right now, there's a website location uh, on the screen, forward slash more. If you'll visit there, uh, let us know how God has spoken to you today. We would love to reach out to you and guide you in, in understanding what it means to trust Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Or if you know Jesus, we want to we interact with you and communicate with you on how your faith can grow strong. Thank you so much for being a part of... Uh, Advent season week number one. I can't wait to share week number two with you as we celebrate there is one, Jesus Christ. Love you a lot. See you soon. God bless.